everybody, how you doing? Glad to be here today. All right, hey, we, this is a very special day for a lot of uh, little guys and girls because uh, on this day, all of our kindergartners join us for worship in the big room. Okay, so this is a big deal. So what we do, our children's ministry provides is a Bible for these kindergartners so that they can begin to read God's word as they learn to read and mom and dad can read it for them. And uh, they also get this little cool sticker that says new kid in worship, all right, that they uh, wear today. And so you might have a little worshiper uh, alongside with you, but if you're, if you're one of our new kindergarten worshipers, can you uh, raise your hand up really big so we can see you a little bit? There's, I see some hands. Can we welcome, welcome them uh, to worship today? It's just one other way we want to lead every generation, right, to know and to follow uh, Jesus. All right, get your Bibles out and let's open it up to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. I know I said last week that we were done with the parables, uh, but I had just one more in me, okay? And I went back to the guys and said, wait, I got one more. And they're like, okay. So everybody kind of scrambled to allow me to have this one more parable because I, I, I left so many good ones out on the table that I really wanted, to, really wanted to, to teach this parable today out of Luke 14. And this is the parable of the great banquet, the parable of the great banquet. Uh, we have lots of different traditions at our house, uh, especially when it comes to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a big deal at our house, kind of like it probably is at your place. But we always have family in, of course, but then we have uh, friends that come over and then we usually invite other folks that are just maybe don't have a place to land that, that we know. We invite them to come over and eat with us. And so every year we'll, we'll have some people that are there every year, but then we have new people that kind of come and go uh, year after year. And one of our traditions is that we have a, a tablecloth. And so everybody writes on the tablecloth their name and maybe something they're thankful for. And so over the years, I mean, we've been doing this for 20 something years, every year as we put the tablecloth out, we think about different people and who's been there before. Here's a couple of pictures of some of the people that have written on our tablecloth over the years. And uh, so you can tell some of these date back a long, long time. I like to leave this foot there. I don't know what we were into right there. Uh, but there's some from back to uh, in the 90s to 08, uh, all different kinds of uh, things that we've drawn and things we've been thankful for. Uh, this covers this, actually now it's two tablecloths. We just kind of have to add, keep adding a tablecloth and we make it work. Um, but it reminds us who all has had a seat at the table on that special day. Well, really this story, the feast or the story, the parable of the great banquet is really about who has a seat at God's table. And how do you know for sure that you have a seat at God's table? So I want us to take a look at that. Now, let me kind of set up the stage of why Jesus is telling this story. Jesus was invited to the house of a prominent Pharisee, and it was a big deal. There were a lot of people there. It wasn't just a private dinner with Jesus. There were a lot of people invited, but it was an invitation with an agenda. You ever have people have, give you an invitation with an agenda? All right, it's not like, hey, we wanted to come at dinner with us. And then when you realize they wanna sign you up for their uh, new business venture or whatever the thing may be. Well, Jesus realized that it was an, an invitation with an agenda because once he sat down at the table and there are a lot of people there, he noticed that sitting across from him 
was a man that suffered with what the Bible calls dropsy or it's an edema. It was, it's a swelling of the extremities. Normally it happens in the legs, feet, ankles, and so on. But if it's severe, it can get up to the arms and even the face. It's a very painful disease. And this man, who would not have normally been invited to this Pharisee's house, was, was bait for Jesus. They planted this guy because they knew that Jesus was a sucker for a hurting person. And if, they, if he was there, then Jesus might heal him. And it was a Sabbath. And Jesus would be breaking a rule. And, and they would have him. And Jesus knew what was going down. They had done this to him before. So here he is. He takes his seat. He notices this hurting man. And Jesus will have none of it. Jesus heals this man on the spot and then begins to school these religious leaders on their hard heart and really expose their motives. He said, listen, when you throw a big party like this, you always invite your friends that are just like you. And you do that so that they'll pay you back by inviting you to their party down the line. But, but if you really want to be godly, you should be inviting the poor and the lame and the hurting and the outcast, and God will reward you in heaven one day. Well, I'm sure that went over like a lead balloon, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean he's like laying it out to them in the middle of everybody there. I'm sure it was tense and you could have heard a pin drop and you could cut the tension with a knife. And then a guy speaks up, probably just to break the tension in the room. Look at it. This is uh, Luke 14, verse 15. And when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's kind of a random statement, but Jesus is talking about eating at the table and, and that God will reward if you do it right. And this guy probably thought, I'm just going to say something to break the tension. So I kind of picture him holding up his glass like a toast. Blessed is everyone who eats of the kingdom. You know, come on, guys, let's, let's all get back on track here. And Jesus uses that statement to launch into a story. And the story is about a king. And it's about a great banquet. And it's about people who have a seat at the table and people who don't. So let's just look at it, uh, beginning at verse uh, 16. These are the words of Jesus. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now stop right there. This uh, story begins with a great man destroying this banquet. And uh, in, in a similar parable in the Gospel of Matthew, he's said to be a king, all right? So this is a great, maybe he's a king, he's a great man, he, and he's throwing this big gala, this great celebration, this great party. It would be a big deal to, to attend something like this. It'd be similar to like saying you got invited to the White House for a special banquet of some kind. Or maybe you got invited to a company party that the president's throwing. Or maybe tea with the queen. I mean, something that's a really big deal. Now, in those days, it was customary that there would be two invitations that would go out. The first invitation would just be letting you know that a party's going to happen at a certain time to save the day. All right, so the RSVP's been around a long time, folks, a long, long time. So that's what the first invitation was. And then the second one would be the day of the party when they would go out and say, all right, here it is. Everybody come, the table's set, the table's ready, let's celebrate. So this king sends out his servants. They've already had the first invitation. So now the second invitation goes out. Come, the table is ready. Come feast with this great man. But... It seems that there are some people that really didn't want to attend. 
Let's look at it. Keep reading. Uh, Verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. The other said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I, I, I go to examine them. Please have me excused. The other said, I, I, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. So here it is, they, they go out, the servants go out and say, come on, the party is ready, let's, let's feast, let's celebrate this great, uh, this great banquet, this great gala, and uh, they all start to make excuses. Lame excuses, right? Lame excuses. Don't you just hate lame excuses, by the way? Don't you just hate it when people do like make up stuff or make up, I can't do that, I have a bone in my leg, I can't possibly do that, or some kind of lame excuse like that. I hate that. I, I was looking at a, um, I was reading an article this week out of the business section of a Cleveland newspaper. And they were talking about excuses people give for being late to work. And they're like, listed like 12 of them. I won't bore you with all 12 of them, but I, I picked the top six that I like the most. Here's the first one. Why I'm late to work. All my clothes were stolen. How does that happen? I don't know. I don't know. That. Number five, a Vaseline truck overturned on the highway and cars were slipping left and right. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, number four, a black bear entered my carport and decided to take a nap on the hood of my car. Not in Colleyville, probably. All right. Number three, I was detained by Homeland Security. That's a little scary right there. Just stay home. Stay home. Uh, my hair caught on fire from my blow dryer. Carlos and I don't have that problem, do we, brother? We don't have that problem. Never have that problem. Uh, number one, I-, I thought of quitting today, but then I decided not to, so I came to work late. <laughs> That's probably the most honest one of all of them. All right. So yeah, lame excuses, right? We all have these lame excuses. Well, that's what was happening. This, these servants go out, come on to the great party, and they give lame excuses. The first one is, well, I, I bought some land, so I need to go look at my land. Like, all right, really? You didn't go look at the land before you bought it? I mean, why do you have to go look at it now? The other one says, I bought some oxen, so I need to go try them out. It'd be equivalent to saying, I just bought a new tractor or, or a new uh, zero-turn mower, and I got to go you know, get it out on the lawn. All right, really? You got to do that now? You know, I love the last one. I just got married. Yeah, I don't know. I, we don't know how long he's been married, but surely his wife doesn't want to get all dressed up and go to a big party. No, we want to stay home and eat pizza, right? That's what she wants to do. No, you know, it's just, uh, these are all lame excuses. Listen, anytime you throw a big party and you invite some of your friends and they say, well, I can't really show up. I need to go try out my tractor. All right, just note to self, they don't like you, all right? They don't want to be with you. They don't want to come to your party, right? And I think the king in this story got the picture. They didn't want to be at his party. They didn't want to come to his thing because all these lame excuses. And so how did the king respond? Well, let's just keep reading. Look at what the king did, beginning verse uh, 21. It says, then the master of the house uh, became angry and said to his servants, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and lame. And the servant did, sir, uh, what you've commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men 
who were invited shall taste of my banquet. So the king is angry because he's laying excuses. He says, I want you to go out and I want you to find people that would not normally ever be invited to such a great occasion as this. So go out and find the marginalized, the, bl- the blind, the lame, uh, the poor, uh, those that are disenfranchised, those that nobody wants to be around, those that are struggling, the, those that were outcast in society at that time. I want you to bring them into my banquet. And they said, sir, we've done all that and there's still room. This is a big house. This is a big deal when we still got room. He said, then go outside the city. Go outside on the highway. Literally leave the Jewish communities and go out to the Gentiles. Go to the place in the, where there are people that are so far from God, you think they could never, ever come close to God. And you tell them that there is a place at my table for them. Now, Jesus is telling, remember, he's in, at this banquet and he's telling this story. All eyes are locked on him. What is Jesus saying? What is the main point? What's the big idea of Jesus' story of the great banquet? Here it is. I'll, I'll just put it in a statement. The story is this. There is a seat at God's table for you. There's a seat at God's table for you. No matter who you are, no matter where you were raised, no matter what has happened to you, no matter what you've done, no matter how guilty or shameful you think you are, there is a seat at God's table for you. There's a place in God's table for you. That's really good news, isn't it? That's such good news. And you may say, well, Craig, well, what does that mean exactly that there's a seat at God's table for me? What, what do you mean? Well, let me, let me unpack it just a little bit, a little bit more. This story represents some things. The seat at the table really is a picture of heaven. It's a picture of heaven. Obviously, the king that throws this great banquet represents God. The great banquet itself represents heaven. Did you know that all the way through the Bible, heaven is described as a party? It's described as a festival? It's described as as some great feast? Multiple, multiple times where it's described this way. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 25, verses 6, six or 8, it says this. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. And it will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will move, remove the cloud of gloom and the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. Isn't that great? Heaven is pictured as this great banquet and all the nations will come and they will celebrate him and he will wipe away tear and death will be no more and the gloom that hangs over the earth will be gone. That's what heaven is gonna be. It's gonna be like a great party. Now, many people kind of think that heaven is, is going to be boring, right? I, I like the, the old far, uh, 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 far side cartoons. And here's a picture of one uh, up here, a guy sitting on a cloud. And he says, wish I'd brought a magazine. <laughs> you know, that's, that's many people's view of heaven. All right, we're going to be up there. We're going to sit on a cloud and, and uh, we're going to just be bored. Right? What are we going to do all, all the time for eternity? All right, well, let me, uh, newsflash, you're not going to be floating on clouds. Uh, you're not going to be uh, wearing halos or little cherub wings. You're not going to be playing harps or 
auto harp or juice harp, any kind of harp. Not going to be playing all that, all right? But, but heaven is going to be a celebration. You know, Jesus described it this way in Luke uh, 22. He said, uh, he told his disciples, one day you and I are going to sit together and, and we're going to feast together and we're going to eat and drink together in the kingdom. That was the idea of a celebration. Jesus wove this idea all the way through many other parables, some of those that we didn't get to. Like the parable of prodigal son we looked at last week. There's a, at the end of the story, there's a big party and celebration and everyone is invited in for that which was lost is found. Or the par- parable of the, of the 10 virgins where they're waiting like a wedding party, waiting for the bridegroom to come and then they all go into this big celebration, big party. All of those are images of heaven. Heaven is a celebration. You know, heaven is described in lots of different ways. Uh, Many times it's described as a city. Sometimes it's described as a country. Imagine a bustling city filled with sights and sounds and energy and excitement. Uh, That's what heaven will be like. Imagine a country that you visit for the first time and you can't wait to see all the sights and experience the culture. That's what heaven is going to be like. Jesus said that uh, heaven is called paradise, which means the the, the garden of a king, a beautiful garden. So there's beauty in heaven. There's, there's people in heaven. There's excitement in heaven. But here he says there's a party in heaven, all right? There's a celebration in heaven. I mean, imagine the, the best food. Imagine the best entertainment. Imagine being surrounded by all your family and friends from generation to generation that you've longed for, that death is separated. You're gonna finally be there together and you're gonna talk and you're celebrate with Christ there with us. That's what heaven is going to be like. So when, when he talks here about a seat at the table, he's, it's a picture of heaven. Randy Alcorn, who wrote extensively on heaven, uh, wrote this. He said, uh, for the Christian, death is not the end of an adventure, but a doorway from a world where dreams and adventures shrink to a world where dreams and adventures forever expand forever expand. That's heaven. A seat at the table means that there's a place in heaven. You see, God created heaven with you in mind. God created heaven as a place where we could come together and celebrate Jesus and celebrate each other and celebrate God's grace for eternity. So when he said, when I say there's a seat at the table, I'm talking about heaven. There's a place in heaven for you. But also, when you talk about a seat at the table, it requires a response. This story clearly portrays two different kinds of responses. There are those that received the invitation and they gave lame excuses. Well, I don't want to do that. I got all these other things. I got other things happening in my life. I'm too busy for that. But then there were others that got the invitation and they ran, right? I mean, they couldn't believe that they got this invitation. They weren't, didn't feel worthy to have that invitation. And they were so glad to be in this master's house and celebrated his table. It blew their mind. You know, really when the gospel goes out, there's always a response. And the sad thing is that there are many people that just make excuses. I, I've, I've been doing this a long time, and I can tell you over and over and over, there are many times when I will share uh, the gospel, and either in a church service like this, or a special service, or even just one-on-one, and people begin to make excuses of why they can't come to Christ. In, in this story, basically the excuses were about possessions and affections. 
possessions, the first two. I bought land. I, I bought uh, oxen. I, I, I've got these possessions. The other ones, I got married. I have, I have these other interests. That's the affections. Listen, both possessions and affections can keep you from Jesus. It can do it. People will say, well, you know, I, Pastor, I, I, can't, I can't really come to Christ because I've just got so much going on. Man, you have no idea how packed my schedule is. And, you know, one day I'm going to take care of that. But, man, I'm so busy right now. I've got so much at work and I'm so packed down. Or, or man, I can't be at church because, you know, we've got the ball teams. I mean, we've got so many uh, club, club, you know, games going on. I've got all that. I just, or, you know, I, got, I bought that lake house. And, man, if I don't show up, I've got I to go to the lake house. I put so much money into that. I've got to go there. Or we, you know, we have all these excuses of why Jesus can't be first. But let me just remind you that those excuses are lame excuses. Because the minute you stand before Jesus, they're, gonna, they're not even going to be able to be uttered. When you stand before Christ, why do you put me first in your life? Well, I had this lake house. See, it's just, we begin to see it now in, in the scope of eternity how lame those excuses really are. I think the worst excuse, the most dangerous excuse, is this excuse. Pastor, I'll deal with that tomorrow. I'll deal with that later. Tomorrow, I will uh, get right with God. Tomorrow, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll pray. Tomorrow, I'll, I'll get involved with, with the church. Tomorrow, I'll, I'll start to really take my spiritual life serious. Tomorrow, I'll deal with that. Listen, tomorrow is the devil's word. Tomorrow always keeps you one step away from knowing Christ, one step away from heaven. It's just the distance of tomorrow. And many people miss heaven and they don't take their seat at the table because they've just made excuses that they'll take care of that tomorrow. Every, every person in this story, the one that made excuses, they were just thinking about the here and now. They were saying, well, I got this field and I got this obligation. I got this relationship. They weren't giving any thought to what happened after they died. They weren't giving any thought to eternal things. No thought to God. But at the end of the day, that is the only thing that will really matter. The minute after you die, the only thing that will matter is what you did with Christ. The excuses. Every time you hear the gospel, it demands a response. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've been kicking the can down the road. Maybe you've been making excuses. And maybe today, listen, maybe today you can stop with the excuses. Maybe today you're going to hear the gospel and you've heard it many times before. Maybe you've sat in many services before. But maybe this will be the day when you say, all right, enough of the excuses. I'm going to deal with God now. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to move forward. Today is the day to say yes to God. When you begin by saying yes to God, you can begin to live your whole life saying yes to God, which will only lead you to the best path for your life. But if you start saying no to God, it's easy to say no again and again and again and again. And pretty soon you'll look up and you're as far from God as you've ever dreamed possible. Today is the day to say yes. Yes to Christ. Yes to serving him. Yes to living in community. Yes to living on mission. Yes to giving my life fully and completely into Christ's hands. You see, a seat at the table requires a response from you. It demands a response. But the good news is this, a seat at the table means you can come as you are. You don't have to get your act together to come to Jesus. 
Isn't that good news? You don't have to like, all right, well, I'll just kind of you know, get rid of my addiction problem and then I'll get right with God or get rid of my, you know, my sin issue, then I'll get right with, you know. No, I, I, can, I can just come as messed up as I am with, this, uh, with my baggage and hangups and problems. I can just bring them to Jesus and he can take them from me. He can change me. He can empower me. He can do the work inside of me to change me. I love that because in this story, the king sends out these uh, servants after he hears these lame excuses, he, he said, go out to the poor and the blind and the lame. Go to the imperfect people. Hey, guess what? This church is filled with imperfect people, right? Uh, uh, or just to demonstrate, if you think that we're all like these uh, pressed down, uh, perfect uh, church people, uh, so I'm going to demonstrate this, ready? Uh, on, the, on the count of three, if you're like really, you know, you're messed up, all right? You're not, imp- you're not perfect at all. Uh, raise your hand, one, two, three. All right, all right, so there you have it, all right? We're all a mess, all right? And so if you're a mess, welcome. Uh, welcome, this is the perfect church for you. We've all got mess ups and hang ups, but we're pursuing Jesus and he's changing our life. That's the only difference. We're pursuing Jesus and he's making us new. He's changing us on the inside. And so he said, go out to these imperfect people, these marginalized people, these people that think they they don't deserve to be there and bring them in. And so they do. And so let me just tell you this, by the way, I'm about to get a little fired up right now. So just buckle your seatbelt. All right. Listen, folks, this is why we exist as a church. We do not exist for ourselves. Uh, The church is not a club where you pay dues in order to get benefits for yourself. That's not how this works. This is a a church that is on mission to reach those who are not here yet. That is the whole reason why we're here. The Great Commission is the real thing, to go and make disciples of all nations. That is what King Jesus told us we are to do. We have a uh, zeroed-in focus, and that is to reach as many people as we can while we still have opportunity before Christ comes back. That's why we're here. And listen, when we do that, when we are on mission, when we're sharing the gospel, we're inviting people to come, you are never more online, on point with what God wants for your life. But when we become inward and self-focused and critical, that's when we are far away from the Father's heart. Listen, God has called us. That's why we have a mission statement to lead every generation to know and to follow Jesus. And listen, we're going to do it. Folks, we're going to do it. We're going to get on board. And I'm just telling, I'm just asking you even now, because we got to be reminded, right? We, we, we mission drift. So we got to be reminded again and again, why are we here? We are here to reach as many as we can with the gospel of Jesus Christ and make disciples to the ends of the earth. That's why we're here. Come on, folks, let's do it. All right. Let's do this together. That is why we're here. And, uh, you know, a lot of people came and they said, we still got more room. He said, then go out to the highways, man. Go to the far reaches. Go to Zambia. Go to, go to Bolivia. Go to South Africa. Go, uh, go to Venezuela. Go to Costa Rica. Go to China. Go, go to wherever you can and, and compel people. Urge people. Tell them that there's a seat at the table. Tell them there's a seat at the table. Listen, folks, we've got the best news ever. You know, what do you do when you have good news, right? You tell people. You put it on Facebook. That's what you do. I see that. I see it all the time. We got a promotion. Oh, man, look what I have. My kid, you know, got A's on this. We celebrate. We celebrate. We tell people when we have good news. You know what the gospel is? It's good news. 
And we've got good news that, that the price has been paid, our sin has been dealt with, there's a seat at the table, come on, come, King Jesus has paid for it all. There's a seat at the table. But listen, folks, they are not gonna be here unless we go get them. The fact is that every empty seat in this room represents somebody that needs to be here, that is not here. And the way they get here is not by just advertising, you know, or driving by the building. They get here when God's servants, his people, go out and say, you know what? You gotta come with me. <laughs> you just gotta come. You gotta come with me, sit with me. I know you don't do church that often. I know you're maybe not into that. Just come and check it out. And just listen. Open up your heart. Just think what would happen if every one of us had one person on our heart and mind, one person from work, one person that's in our neighborhood, one person that's at our school, one person that's a client, that we just said, hey, would you just come one Sunday and just hang out with us and we'll go out to lunch after? Just think if we were truly on mission like that. Not only would God change that person, but get this, God would change you because you were never more alive than when you're on mission with Jesus. You're never more alive when you're, God's using you and working through you and the Spirit of God is putting words in your mouth to invite and bring. You're never more alive than when you're taking the risk to make the invitation. You're never more alive than that. And, and honestly, this is really uh, the best time to, as we think about Welcome Weekend next week, is Welcome Weekend is just probably the easiest time of the year to invite somebody to come. We're going to have such a great day, but listen, it will be a great day if you join in God's mission and you bring somebody with you. Say, man, just come, check it out. Let's go to lunch after, but just open up your heart to listen. Listen, now's the time. There's a seat at the table. There's a place for everybody. The seat at the table is about heaven, but it demands a response. And it demands obedience on our part to compel people to come.